Welcome to Stories on the Eucharist. Ooh, the Eucharist. With Father Alex Kroll. <laughs> and Stephanie Stovall. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome to our podcast. We're having a little fun. Uh, as you, hopefully you've been joining us for these. Um, as you know, this is the year of the Eucharist. Uh, the, our bishops have asked us to engage in a Eucharistic revival and we're in the parish phase. So we're coming to you live from St. John the Baptist Catholic Church. And we are listening to and sharing um, some beautiful stories about how the Eucharist from our parishioners, how the Eucharist has touched their lives. I'm Father Alex Kroll, and with me today is Stephanie Stovall, my uh, partner in crime in this little podcast. And Mm -hmm. um, today we have the guest, uh, Kay Summer. Kay has a a big responsibility, a a beautiful mission and work here at St. John's. She's the lead for our homebound ministry, taking communion to those who are shut in or those who are sick. So important and um, bringing the life that the Eucharist is to those who are uh, maybe unable to come to Mass because they're ill or because they're homebound. Uh, a beautiful, beautiful ministry, and so Kay's going to share with us some of that. Um, we thank you again for, for loving the Eucharist, and we hope that this podcast helps you. Why don't we begin with a prayer? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. amen. Heavenly Father, we ask um, you send your Holy Spirit to be powerfully present in this conversation, to uplift our hearts and draw us deeper into the mystery of your love. Lord, we ask that your Spirit would provide penetrating words and, and insights that would help us to love you more, and that our anyone who out there who is listening, their hearts would be open to what you have for them. Not that what we have to say is all that important, but what you have for them um, is radical and life-changing and and brings great joy and peace. So, Lord, we entrust this time to you. We ask for humility in our hearts that we may love you and serve you faithfully today. And we entrust this entire time to Our Lady as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All right. Thanks again, Kay, for coming in and sharing with us um, about your love for the Eucharist and your ministry. Um, tell us a, a little about yourself and a little about how the Lord has been working in your life. Thank you, Father. Um, I'd like to kind of give you an overview of my spiritual journey uh, and where I got to Uh, where I am right now with the Eucharist and the love that I have and the things that have happened uh, through different ministries. So I'd like to start with uh, my foundation, even though it was not Catholic. uh, I went to a Lutheran church from kindergarten through eighth grade. What was important there was we did a lot of Bible study I taught Sunday school. We memorized and studied the quote-unquote catechism, which, of course, was a Lutheran catechism modeled after our Catholic catechism. And I sang in the choir where various songs became very important to me. I met my husband, Nick. Um, He was a cradle Catholic and began going to Mass in college Uh, with him and also by myself. I began my investigation into the Catholic faith. Uh, I began at my Lutheran church and the pastors there. Uh, My mom and dad's best friends who were Catholic 
I questioned uh, Dolores uh, quite a bit. Uh, I got engaged and went to Catholic instruction at our small parish in Columbia, Missouri. I was baptized and confirmed in 1962 at that same small church. I was married at Assumption Catholic Church in O'Fallon, Missouri. Both of my boys were baptized and confirmed. My daughter was baptized and made her first communion with Bishop Beltran, as a matter of fact. She was not confirmed. In 1969 to 76 in Tulsa at Madeline, then Father John Sullivan was instrumental in our adoption of my daughter in 1970. In 70, we moved to Oklahoma City, went to the first mass ever of Epiphany Parish out west of the city, and my family got extremely involved in the building of the parish with Father Bryce. Uh, the entire family was very much involved. Father Bryce was a great persuader. <laughs> and, uh, it's hard to say no to a priest. Yes, it is. <laughs> Thanks for coming today. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're going to do this, this, and this. That's exactly the way it was. Uh, 78, I moved to Edmond and started attending St. John's. Around 83, my husband left. In 85, uh, I got divorced and an annulment. Uh, I became a Eucharistic minister, a lector, and was asked to be a quote-unquote mass coordinator as that ministry was just beginning. Uh, I became a part of Parish Council Liturgy Board, which is now called Worship Pillar, I believe. Uh, 15 to 20 years I ago, I went to RCIA meeting to learn more about my faith. Uh, Deacon Gary Peterson was leading it at the time, and it was his first session. And he asked if I was planning on attending all the meetings as he was looking for someone to take notes to help him in his first opportunity to lead and teach RCIA. I agreed and also became a team leader as part of our table ministry and also break open the word. I received a much better understanding and a real deepening of my faith occurred with my 10 years of being a part of RCIA. I made a retreat in daily life around 2014. It changed my life. I went on to become a spiritual director and received by my certification July 14th, 2019. I missed my anniversary, doggone it. <laughs> um, around that time, I became a sacristan, first for weekend and holy days and then for funerals. Also at that time, I had been a homebound minister for 10 to 12 years and an opportunity arose to lead for that ministry. Both funeral sacristan and the homebound ministry have been a tremendous blessing for me. I've lost many family and friends in the last few years, and serving as funeral sacristan gives me the opportunity to honor those I've lost, as well as bring the Lord's serenity and peace to those who have lost loved ones. I am blessed to be able to be God's servant in this ministry. 
I am also blessed in our homebound ministry, bringing the Eucharist to those who can't get to Mass brings them great joy as they receive and comfort that we cannot comprehend. I have three different instances that came to mind as I was praying and contemplating about what to present as my, my Eucharistic moments. Um, the first one probably was I had a lady at uh, Bradford facility, uh, and I went to check at the front desk when I went in that day and see if we had any new Catholics needing communion. And I was told a name and a room number of someone that had just come. So I went down. I offered her communion, but she just received her breakfast. And I, she looked kind of bewildered, so I said, well, you know, I've got others to visit. I'll come back. You finish your breakfast, and I'll come back. She said, oh, that would be wonderful. She looked pretty frail, but so that's what I did. When I went back, she wanted, uh, we did the whole communion service that we do as homebound ministers. Um, when she received the host, she was just radiant. She just glowed. She did all of the responses in Latin. No way. Um, she did. And uh, at the end, I had said, well, oh, I hope to see you next week. I'll bring you communion next week. And she was just she was just literally glowing. I don't know how else to put it. Like a brand new person. Yes. <laughs> so I the next week, I stopped at the desk and said, have we got anybody new? And she said, no, but that lady you saw last week passed away. And I said, when was that? She said, it was within a couple hours after you left. Oh, wow. wow. And I just... Oh, man. Well, uh, because she was so new at the facility, we hadn't even had a time to set up, do you need a priest or anything like that? So as it came down, I was the last one to give her the Lord. Oh. And I feel extremely blessed with that. Mm-hmm. Just got chills. It's beautiful. We call that viaticum when when it's the last time uh and it it's the when we receive the eucharist as food for the journey that's what the church tells mm. us and so mm-hmm. you were nice. able to give her viaticum uh, take me with you is what it la- literally means in latin wow. so the lord was able to accompany her uh because of your ministry how beautiful okay how awesome. that's so powerful mm-hmm. Thank you. It was it was a great blessing mm-hmm. uh my second time uh I believe it was called Renew that we had here at St. John's. Uh, I went to the first, I think I went to two, but the first session was the one that was important. Uh, I'm good friends with, uh, uh, maybe all of you know, the Sharp family. And uh, Bella in particular was, she sat next to me that night. We had kind of a bond, and uh, which was lovely. Is lovely. Mm -hmm. She sat next to me that night, and when the deacon brought the host in in the monstrance in the procession, and then went and kneeled down, and we all we were in chairs, so we had to regular chairs kneeled on the floor. But I don't think anybody remained standing. We kneeled on the floor. I put my arm around her 
because she was sitting next to me. And we remained there. Now, I thought, I, I estimated maybe it was 15 to 20 minutes. You could have heard a pin drop. The serenity and the peace were there. It was, it was just beautiful. And Bella just held on to me and was perfectly still. At the end, we all got up and everything. And I had noticed during while we were kneeling, her mother was on her other side, and she kept glancing over at her. After, at the end, I said, Jennifer, what, you know, are you concerned about Ballard? And she said, she has never, never sat that still and that quiet, ever. Mm. And she was just glowing, and she was just so at Mm -hmm. peace and just... So that was my second <laughs> Jesus. That's awesome. Raising yeah. his face in the Eucharist. And, yeah. and was this the, um, when they had praise and worship and would bring, and was this event in the Great Hall? Mm-hmm. Okay. And they had music. Yeah, yeah. So that was one of our mm-hmm. Ignites. Ignite. That's yeah. I couldn't That's remember the name. Yeah. Yeah. I had a really uh, beautiful, super quick story from... Um, a lady who's probably, I don't know, in her 30s. And she was at one of the Ignites. And she said that she had never felt Jesus as closely as she did that night. She's like, whenever they brought in the monstrance, it was so powerful. Like you could feel his presence in there. And she said, I didn't even notice that I had a tear r- running down my cheek. Yes. And when you just put Jesus out there, he, he does stuff. He just mm-hmm. does. It's so simple. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Okay, my last that I wanted to mention was because I was in RCIA for such a long time and I sponsored eight or nine, I forget now, I've got eight or nine people into the church. One of my very favorite times of that process was sitting in the pew, watching them go up and receive for the first time and then watching them come down and they just, like they had a thousand watt light bulb inside of them. Mm -hmm. That was just wonderful to see that. Yeah, that's my favorite part of the Easter Vigil each year is seeing the newly baptized, newly confirmed Catholics so full of grace and then go to receive their Lord in Holy Communion um, because I think we do a good job preparing them here. They know who they're receiving. They know how important that day is and, um, yeah, the joy that's on their face. Yes. Uh, I wish that we all had, every time we went to receive Holy Communion, I wish we had the same joy as uh, the little kid making their first communion or, or the newly confirmed or newly baptized Catholic making their first communion. Um, yeah, they, they just have such a uh, – they recognize who they're receiving and and they seem to receive with such love and, and gratitude in their hearts. And I think Aww. we who receive on a regular basis, it can become routine. We can forget, you know, who we're receiving. We can forget what a great gift the Eucharist is. So it's good. I mean, how wonderful to be a part of RCA, how wonderful to see it through someone else's eyes to, um, and for all of us, we have that opportunity to maybe, you know, a parent seeing it through their kid's eyes for the first time is reminded, wow, what a precious gift this is or, all of us, when we go to a First Communion or an Easter Vigil, get to um, renew that joy in our own hearts of, well, this is such a great gift for me, and I hope I never take it for granted. So, 
Yeah. How beautiful that experience. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for sharing with us. I loved your story. Um, you, you've been involved in so much. You've been, um, you've done so much here at St. John's. What a, a great gift and, and everywhere in your parish. Uh, my dad's side is all Lutheran. So I, I, uh, okay. I went to Lutheran Sunday school every once in a while. Don't tell anyone, you know, <laughs> um, but it was, uh, uh-huh. but, uh, it was vacation Bible school. You know, my, we'd go to Lutheran vacation Bible school. Cause you know, that way you get two weeks off in the summer. My parents did not just one for Catholic <laughs> vacation Bible school, but for <laughs> Lutheran vacation Bible school too. And yeah, I sometimes marvel at how we have more in common, but it's beautiful to hear how the Eucharist was that, that deal, you know, that turning point too. In as Catholics, that's the, the great gift that we have that no other church um, has that same gift. And so how beautiful it is that, that, um, in our Catholic faith and the fullness of the faith, we have this great gift of the Eucharist. Um, in your your times and your your many ministries and your homebound ministry, um, what are uh, some of the ways that um, you personally uh, have been able to? Um, I mean, you've been involved in so much. Do you think there's there's more? Do you think uh, your faith continues to evolve and unfold? And and your your uh, relationship with the Eucharist continues to grow? Yes, I do. Absolutely. Um, for some reason, what comes to mind is I, after uh, potential homebound ministers have completed the first two steps, that being Eucharistic minister and then uh, taking safe and sacred training, uh, then I train them according to what our procedures are for uh, getting the host and how to handle it and, and uh, what they should do once they get all of that. What comes to mind with your question is I love it because I train when I train them and then when I give them their first assignment and they call me back and they say, oh, my gosh, this was so wonderful. They received and they were crying or they received and they were so full of joy and I could, and they, I, I love, oh, I get goosebumps now. <laughs> I just love that blessing of they're giving a blessing, but they're mm-hmm. also receiving the blessing yeah. uh, from giving the Eucharist to those that they serve. That's beautiful. That's yeah. so God. So even lifelong Catholics, even people who've maybe been signed up for everything before, the Eucharist can still touch and affect them profoundly and in Absolutely. new and deep ways. That's so beautiful to hear. Well, Kay, thank you for, for sharing with us today. Thank thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your love for our parishioners who are so often neglected or forgotten. Um, they're not, because we have an, an army of homebound ministers to include them and remind You're them. leading the way. Yeah, that they're part of our parish. That it, and, and it's the Eucharist that binds us together. So whether we receive the Eucharist next to each other, we receive the Eucharist miles away. It's the Eucharist that binds us together and makes us one. And so how beautiful that ministry is. Thank you. Um, why don't uh, we close with a, a blessing of our time together. The Lord be with you. And, and with your spirit. Loving God, we ask a special blessing upon us gathered here and upon all who are listening to this podcast. Lord, we ask your blessing that this um, gift of the Holy Eucharist may never be taken for granted, may never be forgotten. And those who are most in need of the Eucharist may never be forgotten. Um, Lord, we ask that your blessing would penetrate our hearts um, 
and that we would recognize you every time we approach Holy Communion, and we would seek to share Holy Communion with those most in need of your love. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. So we talked about um, how powerful the Eucharist is and, and how it's a, a gift to us. I thought we should talk a little bit about what the Eucharist actually does when we receive Holy Communion. It sounds right? like it makes us pretty. That's <laughs> well, what I heard. that you're right not. Before, yeah, I, you're glowing. Helps us to glow, which actually is not untrue. Um, Saint Thomas talks about how uh, the glory of God. Sorry, I'm a Thomist. I love Saint Thomas. <laughs> and the Thomas. actually, actually, Saint the Thomas, Thomas says, "Oh, yes. so smart. <laughs> right? <laughs> that uh, one of the effects of grace is to clarify." To, to, to make us beautiful, to make us shine. <gasps> and in heaven, in heaven, one of the effects... Did you hear that, teenagers? And one of the effects <laughs> is that we shall be brilliant and shine and, and be glorious. And <gasps> so the Eucharist is the foretaste of that. And um, so, yeah, why not see that come through a little bit? Eucharist going to give me a beautiful singing voice in heaven? Um, I want to sound to like seen. Catherine McPhee. We'll see. Is that her name? <laughs> Nanny McPhee? No, is it Catherine McPhee? She's is. the oh, what is, the American Idol girl. Oh man, no, no, no. we're not. <laughs> it's so good. This was good. I keep going. I was teasing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So back to the point. The effects of Holy Communion. What we've been talking about. The Holy Communion does sanctify the body and it implants in us the seed of the future glorious resurrection. So the glory that we are to receive in heaven, singing well, <laughs> maybe among them, um, is given to us in seed form to grow and, and to in this life. And so how beautiful is that's one of the effects of Holy Communion. Um, another of the principal effects of Holy Communion is to um, unite us to Jesus, right? To unite us more closely to Christ. Jesus says, he that eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Okay, hold on. Right? Can you... T- talk a little bit more into that like what does that mean right so he abides in us most us abiding in him most food that we eat right like if you go out and eat a cheeseburger it becomes us right and so our body metabolizes it and turns it into fat or if you exercise more than i do then it turns it into muscle but the food becomes us the eucharist is the one food the one thing we consume where it doesn't become part of us we become part of him. And so that indwelling of Jesus Christ and and by extension, the Holy Trinity within us unites us more closely to Christ. It's a continuation of his incarnation. In his incarnation, he's united to mankind in general, but by Holy Communion, he unites himself to each individual member of the human race. He unites himself to us. Imagine two pieces of wax that are melted uh, one with the other, That's how completely our Lord makes himself one with us in Holy Communion. He is in us and we are in him. St. Augustine says that those who receive our Lord frequently assume his nature. They're transformed into him. Christ changes his, our nature, our lowly human nature, into his own divine nature. That's just so crazy. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So that, you know, it's ordinary, what seems like ordinary, you know, food is not. It's Jesus. And by receiving him... um, we are drawn into that communion. And Jesus says too, like, uh, keep my commandments. I will come to you and the Father and I will dwell with you. That indwelling is accomplished through the fruit of receiving Holy Communion. 
That's just number one. What? <laughs> what about number two? I already two? just can't even wrap my mind around that. But really, it can't. It's just so the hard. The divine indwelling, divine abiding. The, the Easterns call it um, theosis, theosis, becoming like God in the Eastern Catholic Church. We call it sanctification, becoming holy. Sanctification, but in the Eastern Catholic Church, it's theosis. Theosis is isn't that hard, but still. Sure, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. So another effect, the second one I want to talk about, Holy Communion imparts actual graces, we'll break down what that means, and maintains and increases sanctifying grace in the soul. Mm. So we split grace up into all these different categories, right? Sanctifying sure. grace, actual grace, um, prevenient grace, prevenient before coming to Jesus, that grace of conversion. Sanctifying grace is given to us uh, in baptism and is entrusted to each one of us to be kept flourishing in our heart. You know, we talked about mortal sin in the past. Um, sanctifying grace is that grace of the divine indwelling within us um, that makes us um, part of the family of God and, and um, fills us with God's grace. Actual grace are those graces we need to do actual things in our life. So when you receive Holy Communion, you receive the actual grace you need to actually accomplish what you need to do. So if you're a mom or a dad, you receive grace by the Holy Communion to take care of your actually kids. Actually have that patience. To actually do to actually. it, right? Actually, you <laughs> receive it in Holy Communion. Um, if the if God is calling you to a, a special... Makes superhero. <laughs> okay, we'll get to that too, okay. yes. Later. But, um, the actual grace is if God is calling you to a particular mission, right? Like um, if, you know, he really wants you to talk to that neighbor about becoming Catholic or whatever, receive Holy Communion before you have the conversation because you receive the actual and graces wow. you need to act upon it, right? And so um, Holy Communion gives to the timid the courage of lions. St. John Chrysostom says that devils tremble when they see the lips reddened with the blood of the Lord. Oof, love right? that. And so those graces that we need to be courageous, to live our faith heroically. So good. Can you say that one more time? That was yeah, so St. John Chrysostom says that the devils tremble when they see the lips reddened with the blood of the Lord. And we're uh. like lions breathing out fire when we come from Holy Communion. So time out right? really quick. Yes? To think that the bad guys believe in the Eucharist mm -hmm. that much. Even the demons tremble. Yes. Yeah. So we got to beat them. Yeah. And if we want to abide in sanctifying grace, if we want to stay close to God, we have to, to remain close to the Holy Eucharist. Uh, our Lord says, he that receives me at the same time shall live with me. If any man eat this bread, he shall never die. That's to say, we won't so easily fall into mortal sin. We won't destroy the life of the soul. Holy Communion helps preserve us in that life of grace and give us the graces we need to grow. I like that. Yeah, it's That's pretty cool. cool. The third effect of Holy Communion I want to talk about, um, the force of concupiscence. You know, concupiscence is that tendency in all of us to sin, that just left to ourselves, mm -hmm. we fall to the lowest common denominator. It's the, the law of entropy in physics that just left to ourselves, things start to run amok. I don't know what amok, amok is, amok, but amok, they amok. start to run amok. Uh, and so we need the, the Eucharist to remind us to strive for greatness, to not just give in to the sin that we would naturally fall into. Um, but it's a medicine. It's like a physician would prescribe a medicine to keep us from becoming sick. So to the Eucharist is the medicine, the food, for those of us who are infirm, that we are strengthened. Um, I need this every and day. And the vigor of the soul. So um, we know that, that those who receive Holy Communion frequently feel less sharply the stimulus of anger, of envy, uncleanness, other evil desires. Holy Communion, it said, quenches the flame of concupiscence. That's that lust of the flesh. Um, it's, it's not magic. We have to cooperate with the graces that God gives us. 
But the Eucharist does, okay, this is a surprise you might know, <laughs> not know, or may not. The Eucharist cleanses us from venial sins, right? I think maybe I want to undo that. Can yeah. we just say I did? The Eucharist cleanses us from venial sins. So if we have the intention when receiving Holy Communion to be purified from our venial sins, the power of Holy Communion itself purifies us from venial sins because Whoa. our spiritual life is alive and the Eucharist strength. When we fall into mortal sin, like maybe we've talked about before, um, the life of grace needs to be restarted by confession in our souls before it's strengthened by the Eucharist. But if we are, are merely in a state of venial sin, um, it cleanses us, just like fire which consumes wood and straw but does not burn stone or iron. So That's food, a huge deal. Yeah, and the medicine of the soul. And they're beneficial to the sick, but don't help the dead. Um, therefore, if after com confession we commit some venial sin, it's not necessary, per se, to go to confession again before approaching Holy <laughs> Communion mm. if we're just struggling with venial sin. I do know people that have gone to confession and then 10 minutes later go confession to confession again. Yeah, so there are a lot of remedies for venial sin. Actually, praying the Our Father is a good remedy for venial sin. Oh, praying really? Praying the act of contrition. Remember at the end of the Our Father, we pray, forgive us our trespasses yeah. as we forgive those. We're asking Jesus for forgiveness. Mm. Every Mass mm. begins with the confidier, I confess to Almighty God, or or, or the, the Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Cleanses. right? Cleanses us for our sins so that we can receive Holy Communion with an open heart. Cool. That's so cool. Number four, Holy Communion uh, affords refreshment to the soul. You remember in the Old Testament, you know, manna came down from heaven and was sweet to the taste. It was like honey. In Holy Communion, St. Thomas says, we taste the sweetness again. at its true source, right? Who is more sweet? Who is more benignant? That's a hard mm. word. Benignity. Benignant. Yes. <laughs> Um, than Jesus. He is the most sweet. He is sweetness itself. And so um, the more we dispose ourselves, the more we prepare ourselves to receive Jesus, the more sweetness we can experience in Holy Communion. And so sometimes you just feel really joyful, really happy after Holy Communion. I don't know if you've experienced that, but sometimes you're just sometimes I do feel joyful. on fire after receiving Holy Communion. It's because of that sweetness. Um, the saints receive Holy Communion the best. They're like inflamed with love. That's that refreshment, that joy. That's the, the gift of Holy Communion. And then as we kind of talked about before, I'm moving kind of quick through these because we got to get through them, but as we talked about before, Holy Communion unites us, right? We call it communion for a reason. Communion. Mm -hmm. Union, it's right there in the word. Communion. Uh -huh, right? Yeah, you're getting it. <laughs> um, and so the what makes the church, what makes us united, what strengthens our bond is the, the body of Christ is receiving him, is receiving the body of Christ. By receiving the body of Christ, we become the body of Christ. By becoming the body of Christ, we're able to receive the body of Christ. It's a, a virtuous circle of being strengthened more and more. And so because we depend on one another, because the body is a living organism, when one member is strong, all the members are strong. When one member is weak, all the members experience that weakness. We all need to be close to Holy Communion to strengthen that bond um, and giving uh, us the, the help we need to strengthen the body of Christ. And so... So then how much stronger will we be if we all up our communion intake? Yeah. I mean, after all of this, I feel convicted. I need to try to get to daily mass. Mm -hmm. Daily mass. More. The frequency we receive, as many as much as we are open ourselves to him, um, well disposed and ready to receive him, the more grace we receive. What's interesting is yeah. every single holy communion, everyone, yes. every single one, yeah. has sufficient grace to make you the greatest saint. Oh, I want to be a saint so bad. Every single one. We, we would only, if we were 
if we had our hearts completely open, it would only take one Holy Communion to make us a saint. Why is my heart so closed? Right. But the, the hard part is, is that we are weak. We are sinful. But the truth is Jesus feeds us with his body and blood anyway. Okay. And us. if he meets uh, us where we are. If what you're saying is true. Yes. And communion really is this powerful. Yes. And I really do want to be a great saint. Sure. And I just have to get to more masses, more confession. Multiplying masses and confession is a good thing. Multiplying adoration is a good thing. Yes. 100% I agree with you. But? But approaching a single mass with more love, with more reverence, with a more open heart, because Jesus meets us where we are. Maybe maybe you're a mom with five boys. (gasps) How'd you know? Who's really busy and whose state in life doesn't allow her to get to the adoration chapel as much as she would desire. doesn't allow her to get to daily mass as much as she would desire. Would the Lord abandon you? Would the Lord forget you? Will he? Will no. He? The answer is Are no. Are you sure? I am sure. <laughs> Jesus, don't forget me. So even if you um, approach him, uh, you know, once a week at uh, our, at our obliged really mass. really good, not distracted right. mass. Full with, with of an love. Open heart contrition, mm-hmm. openness. Mm-hmm. You can set the world on fire. Oh, I want to set the world on fire. Yeah. So there's also this idea of spiritual communion, right? So there are days where we can't get to daily mass. There are days where we're unable to. The saints recommend, even if you can't get to daily mass that day, send your guardian angel to mass. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. And then Love make a spiritual that. communion, right? So the idea, the idea would be to get to mass. Get to Mass if you're able. But spiritual communion is a real thing. Even St. Thomas Aquinas talks about it, right? I know. And yeah, yes, Yes. but Father, Father, you know me and my thoughts about Mm -hmm. spiritual communion. And it's hard. It's hard for me to say that give it all that. St. Thomas Aquinas is telling me to give it. It's hard mm-hmm. because what we were talking about before, about how important it is to actually be there, right? And right. to receive him. Right. It can't uh, It can't take the place ever of the real thing. Ever. Ever. ever, it ever. Can, can you say that again? It can't take the place ever of the real thing. It's not the same. Period. Right. But imagine okay. you're on a desert island. I know. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And you want to love Jesus. Jesus is not okay, going to Okay, if you're on a you. desert island. Okay. Mm-hmm. St. John Paul II says it this way. The Eucharist is the culmination of all the sacraments in perfecting our communion with God the Father by identification with his only begotten Son through the working of the Holy Spirit. With discerning faith, a distinguished writer of the Byzantine tradition voiced this truth. In the Eucharist, unlike any other sacrament, the mystery is so perfect that it brings us to the height of every good thing. Here is the ultimate goal of every human desire because... Here we attain God, and God joins himself to us in the most perfect union. Precisely for this reason, it is good to cultivate in our hearts a constant desire for the sacrament of the Eucharist. This was the origin of the practice of spiritual communion, which has happily been established in the church for centuries and recommended by saints who are masters of the spiritual life, right? Yes, they're masters. So it's not saying at all that it is a, a substitute or a sacrifice. But we ought to be constantly hungering for the Blessed Sacrament. And in that sense, spiritual communion, making a spiritual communion, um, fills us with graces that um, otherwise would go neglected. 
right? Okay, fine. So those are some of the effects of Holy Communion, right? And so if these are all the effects, uh, how do we see them more in our life? Obviously, like you said, more frequency. How do we see the effects? Love Jesus more, go to Mass more, right? Mm -hmm. Clear, simple. Mm -hmm. How else do we see these effects? We see them when we approach Holy Communion, knowing that Jesus wants to do this for us, believing him, trusting in his promises. Yes. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. I believe. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have life within them, knowing that that's a true promise, believing it, and then asking the Lord to do miraculous things in us. If Jesus promises go big or go that, home. Right. If Jesus promises that these are going to be the effects. All right. Then. Give me these effects, then Jesus. Do it. Exactly. Right. So that kind of faith, that kind of trust, that kind of love when we approach Holy Communion, when we approach the Mass, means that those effects will grow and multiply. And of course, keeping our soul clean and free from sin helps too. Efficiency, clean, clean. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Father. Yeah. Got to get to Mass now. You convicted me. Amen. Did a See good job. There. See you there. Bye.